0: All right. Cool. Great. Um, welcome to Trinity Life. Uh, I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors along with Mike, and we are in week three of our You and Me series, a series on relationships, friendships, and gender. And so, thanks for being here. Um, if you could just kind of walked in and uh, didn't know what we were talking about, um, you're in for a treat today. Um, and so. I want to really dive into it because there's a lot to get through. Um, But before we do that, I want to make two quick announcements. Um, uh, On your chair are these blue cards. These are our connection cards. And what they do is, uh, if you're a first-time guest here, this allows us to know that you were here. If you don't mind, uh, during the offering, if you can uh, fill one of these out and drop it in the offering bag, um, that would be your gift for us today. So we'd love to get to know you. Uh, Mike or I will send you an email and follow up if you're interested in coffee we'll do something like that we'll buy lunch and so this is a great way for you to uh, learn more about the church and for us to learn more about you as well Uh, also um, if you can also put on this card and this is for everybody not just for first time guests but, uh, you know, we um, are crazy busy in the season of our church and a lot of things that are happening. And we want to encourage you to plug into the life of our church, uh, to not just attend on a Sunday and then kind of leave and go, shake some hands and eat some bagels or apparently kanji today. <laughs> um, but we want you to have meaningful interaction. And one of the ways to do that is to be on one of our Sunday teams. And so what we encourage you to do is if you've been around for you know a couple of weeks to a couple months and you want to get to know more names and contribute. Um, if you can put down here that you're interested in being on a first serve team. And what that just means is this, that you come out and you serve one time and uh, you see if uh, you like it and if it's something that you would not mind doing. We have our setup team, our connections team, our kids team, and our music team. Um, either one of these four teams and uh, we'll try to connect you to the one that you think you would like to serve in and you come out um, And you get plugged in one time and kind of based on that and the team leaders assessment You can see if you want to get scheduled some kind of semi-regular um, Fashion, so I really want to encourage you to get plugged in that way most of us when we came into this community six months 12 months ago, and that's essentially how we begin to to connect with one another that and our body life groups Which we'll talk uh, a little bit later during announcements, so I'd love for you to um, uh, hand uh, to hand one of those in. Um, also, uh, after our service here, if you're part of the Connections team, Curtis is holding a short fellowship training for you guys. I think it's at 1230. And so after we kind of get things situated here, uh, we will be meeting in the back room. And so I uh, want to invite our Connections team uh, to be a part of it. All right, you guys ready to jump in? Okay, all right, I'm a bit nervous this week because although I'm talking about one of my favorite subjects, uh, not just women, (laughs) but gender and uh, gender issues, uh, I realized that, uh, you know, if it's not obvious already, I'm not a woman. So uh, for me to say that I'm speaking authoritatively may make some people nervous. Uh, So don't be nervous. I feel like uh, what we're going to go through is actually just what does the Bible have to say? Um, But the reality is this, and the reason why we made this an issue um, is that uh, gender issues and gender roles are a thing that every other institution, every other uh, group, organization uh, talks about. And so, and the church in the past has had, you know, um, a good track and also a bad track track record of how we've treated gender issues. And I think this is an indicator to me that both culturally and spiritually— but I think there's a war on gender. And it's subtle at times, but I think there is actually a, a sense in which, like, the, the gender issue is one that um, has the potential to really divide, not just um, institutions and churches, but divide, like, relationships. Some people get very hurt when they learn about how other people view gender, right? And so, um, uh, and so I wanna be really sensitive to these things, but that, that to me is an indicator of how important this topic is. And so by no means do we think that we have the most authoritative like, understanding of gender issues and all of that. But what we're trying to do is take an honest attempt at looking at some texts. Some of the texts in the Bible that are in the past have been very controversial to some people. It's actually kept them away from the church and we're just going to say, how do we read these things in an honest, best possible way? And how do we apply it to our lives? Now, if you read like different creation myths and different creation stories, like some of them are really crazy. Like two gods came together and one arm got chopped off and that became the man and another body part got chopped off and that became the woman. There are all these like crazy, crazy creation stories for that try to explain gender. All right. Um, outside of creation stories, there really is no authoritative way to talk about gender. All right, because apart from that, everything is cultural and everything is environment. Nobody can assert things about gender. And so you can say, well, let's ask, let's ask the biologist, let's ask the you know the scientists. What does the scientist have to say about gender? You guys ready to ask him? All right, okay. Uh, 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 Graham Bell he's a biology professor at McGill and his primary study in biology is issues of sex and gender and this is what uh, Graham Bell says he says sex is the queen of problems in evolutionary biology perhaps no other natural phenomenon has aroused so much interest certainly none has sold as much confusion the insights of Darwin and Mendel which have illuminated so many mysteries have so far failed to shed more than a dim and wavering light on the central mystery of sexuality. Every layman knows that all the familiar animals and plants have two sexes, but never more. A few scientists have thought to ask and none have succeeded in understanding why there should not often be three or many sexes as there are in some ciliates and fungi. I feel like I'm in a biology uh, (laughs) lecture. The largest and least ignorable and most obdurate of these questions is, why sex? Or to put this more technically, what is the functional significance of sexuality? All right, so let me summarize what Bell's saying, okay? We have no idea how and why gender developed, okay? There's nothing in biology that can tell us why. As a matter of fact, if you read this book, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't buy the book, like I, I Google booked it. Uh, you can like search it. Uh, and this is my scholarship that I bring to the table today. <laughs> but if you read his book, he actually says that sex and gender in some ways are work against the, the uh, evolutionary um, uh, ideas of survival of the fittest. That sex is a very inefficient way to survive and that actually because because men don't reproduce, that we are, and some women already know this, we're the weaker of the two sexes. Um, This is not a very efficient way to produce. Um, And so the biologists also have no clue why we have gender. There are theories, but Graham Bell points out that these theories contradict each other. They're just as good as any other creation myth. So we're gonna look at three things today. We're gonna look at Genesis, we're going to talk about the creation of gender. Secondly, we're going to talk about the corruption of gender. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the. Uh, okay, I tried to alliterate. Mike, you set a really bad precedent. What's Mother C? Uh, the completion of gender. <laughs> All right, three C's creation, corruption, and completion of gender. Genesis 2 5 to 23 um, is really where we get our understanding of uh, gender from. Uh, the Bible provides a version of the creation account. It leaves no question about the intentionality that Jesus, uh, that God actually intentionally made male and female. All right. so if you go back to the first chapter, uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, actually is very explicit that God has made man and woman, or male and female, that this is his way in which he displays his image. And so his image is most fully understand through both genders. All right, um, it has to be through both genders that the world has a more complete understanding of the image of God, of who God is, right. And so um, uh, what uh, uh, philosophers say is that it means that we are ontologically equal. We are both valuable. Our worth and our value are equally the same as gender. Have you ever heard otherwise? have you ever thought that the church made a, a different kind of statement? It's very clear from Genesis 1, 26 to 27, both genders are ontologically equal. We both mirror the image of God to the world. It takes both. Now, sisters, the first priority in your life is to image back to the world God. That's your first priority. Before you're concerned about anything else, realize this, that you have the image of God in you. That is your first priority. How's it going? Like, do people see too much of you and not enough of God? Um, I'm going to push a little bit, and I know it's early in the morning. I'm going to push just a little bit. But see, woman, you are created with an awe-inspiring purpose. Some of you guys, you know this already. You just have that sass. Like, you know that you have a purpose, right? You just know. When you walk in the fullness of who you are, you show more of God to the world. When you walk in less than God's purpose for you, it can look ugly. And so the priority of woman is like the priority of man. It is to live in a way that fully shows the image of God to the rest of the world. In Genesis 1, the next verse, <coughs> it says that both of us have the destiny of birthing out descendants to take care of God's creation. We all have a vocation, we all have a calling to create to make descendants, to be fruitful and multiply, all right? And realizing that not everyone has children, but as a species, as a, I shouldn't say species, that just sounds so uh, technical. As a as a, a, a creature, uh, God has created us to multiply. That's better. That's better than species. Trust me, it's better, okay? That's better, trust me. <laughs> when it comes to responsibility for creation, it's not 50-50. It's 100 and 100%. We both add and bring to the table. Uh, we need women leaders, we need entrepreneurs, we need women executives, we need mothers, sisters, daughters, homemakers, community leaders. We all contribute, right? We need all of this. This is, we need women CEOs, we need women, you know, organizational leaders. This is very much part of God's rule, uh heart is that you would rule and reign. Right? God is very intentional. In this but he's also very intentional in making genders different All right, uh, it's reflected in the creation story that we read earlier Genesis 1 gives Genesis 1 gives us how God creates and then Genesis 2 create uh, gives us why God creates all right Genesis 1 is the how Genesis 2 is digging deeper the why so notice that in Genesis 2 15 through 17 which was read earlier before before the woman is introduced, before she's actually created or brought into the picture, God gives the man a warning already. He already gives the man a commandment. There is just him, and so God commands the man to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this happens way before uh, the woman comes on the scene. And also, you have to, if you ask the question, why did she come later, and then why did she come out of his side or the rib? Right. These are questions that. Uh, at, at some point it just sounds like a a creation myth but there's so much meaning in this why why come later and then why come out of the man I think the key to this is found in their names all right anybody know the Hebrew word Adam what does that mean earth yep like red earth it is actually an adaptation of the word for mankind And so the red earth refers to the fact that Adam was made, mankind was made from red earth. And so when you look at Adam, it's a reminder that he is imaging, he is symbolic of mankind's obedience and trust to God's command. This was given to Adam. Adam, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Live there. Don't. Abide in me. So when you think of Adam, mankind, you're thinking of mankind living in obedience to God's commandment, all right? And so when you think of Eve, the name Eve means life. The the, the, the actual understanding of her name is that life, she is life, she represents life. Eve images and reflects that life flows from mankind. It came out of mankind. It came out of mankind's trust and obedience to God. So when you look at woman, you see that out of the trust and obedience came life. Right. Um, so whenever you think of woman, think of the product of God's design, which is life that springs from obedience. Every time I see a chap, <laughs> I don't know why I said chap. Uh, every time you see it... it It's better than dude. Every time you see a guy, you think man's obedience to God and living in trust and connection to God. Whenever you see a gal, you you think to myself, life that flows from a life of obedience, right? And this is so important. This is why order is important. Order is not to demean women like they came second. That's not the point. God is trying to show a very important principle here. As a matter of fact, God is introducing the DNA for what will later be called the gospel. And this is the DNA. Out of one man's obedience, Adam, will come eternal life, Eve, for the world. Out of one guy's obedience and connection to God will come life, eternal life for the rest of the world. Order matters. Both ontologically important. This is the seed of the gospel that we see. In the first chapters of Genesis it's not just an allegory and so as a matter of fact this is why Paul later picks up on this theme Paul writes Ephesians 5 and and a part of Ephesians 5 is that Paul is harking back in in chapter 3 and 5 he's harking back to the creation story that they're actually shadowing foreshadowing the coming of Jesus right and so later think about this Adam and Eve are real people, but deeply embedded in their relationship is the reality of what's to come. Just as Eve came out from the side of Adam, the church comes out of the side of Jesus. You cannot have the church without Jesus. And so, as Jesus was on the cross and he was poked in the side, and his blood came out, and his blood was shed for. Mankind, life was given to the world, the church. Deeply embedded into the story of gender is a story of Jesus and the church. This debunks the idea that women, you are second because you are integral to our understanding of the gospel. The plot thickens, and this is where it gets even more squirmy sometimes because of the poetic language. Eve is not only symbolic for eternal life, but it says very clearly in the text, in verse two, uh, chapter two, verse 18 through 20, that she is the helper. How many of you guys like to be called the help? Should we take a survey? No, okay. The The Hebrew word here is azer. And I know all of our feminist tendencies look at this word and uh, we fight against this. Um, but uh, she's called the helper. Why? To ensure that mankind is on track with its mission. Eve has the same call as the church. To ensure that Adam, mankind, is on track with his mission. Your call is no less than the church. Uh, <laughs> I wrote here that i support a feminist reading of 2 18 18 through 20. can we pull that up real quick um, and so this is what it says uh, well you know your old one okay it says uh then the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him now out of the ground the lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens that brought and brought to brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called everything uh, everything sorry whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the air but for adam there is not found a helper fit for him so the lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and so it's very explicit here that the woman at this time was created to help the man, all right? I know what you're thinking already. I'll quote. I'll um, here's the theology of women as helper, okay? Uh, this may be the tweetable of the day. I think we've got it on the slide. The purpose of woman was to help God save mankind from depending on anything else other than God for life especially depending on themselves. That was her role. That was why she was created, was to keep mankind from depending on anything else other than God. You have to understand verses 18 through 20 in light of verses 15 through 17. In order for mankind to complete its purpose in living in harmony and connection and obedience to God, he needed help with that. And it's not demeaning and it's not second class to be classified as a helper because that is one of the primary names in which God gives himself in the scriptures. He calls himself an ever-present help in time of need. All throughout the book of Psalms, he refers to himself as the rescuer, the helper. This is one of the images of God that is embedded into our gender to reflect to the world who God is. Uh, I wrote here that it's because God is a helper and God is helping mankind. So he loves mankind by giving him a helper in his own image. So, um, all right, I'm gonna speak to the ladies. I'll do sidebar conversations with the guys, okay? But I wanna address the ladies real quick. Uh, If you ever thought that being a helper was beneath you, understand this, that the purpose you serve In God's plan makes significant the role you have in God's plan. If you forget forget about purpose, then role becomes this arbitrary thing where other people tell you how important or how unimportant role is. The purpose you serve in God's plan makes significant the role you have in God's plan. If you realize that your purpose is God-given and eternal, then there is no such thing as big or small roles. Because, see, for God, he is king, but He is also servant. He serves a purpose. There is no such thing as big or small roles. Everything is God's plan. Okay, quick application. This does not mean that every female here is a helper to me. Okay? It does not mean that. <laughs> it does not mean that, like, your role is to be the help of another man, per se. That as a matter of fact, in Genesis, it makes a very clean application of what the 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 uh, the implication of this. So it says uh, in verse 24, uh, Adam is like a poet, right? So he sees this woman; she's stunning. He's like, "Whoa!" And he writes a poem about her, right? He says, "At last, whoa, Finally, all I see is sheep and birds and cows. Finally, at last, one bone of my bones." Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so what, uh, and then it quickly says, and here's the application. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. All right, so here's the application. Family, all right. Uh, What does family look like based on this? And according to this, it's, it's explaining this, that when a boy is ready to start a family, I use the word boy very like intentionally. It's because he's gained his identity from both parents. He's strong enough to start a culture of family with another woman, his captain, or sorry, his co-captain, his helper. The boy must love her and hold fast to her because he is confident in his God and he is confident in himself. Like Christ, this boy has a purpose and a vision. Together, the boy and the girl birth a lifelong dream. Together, they become one flesh, man and woman, naked and unashamed. This is how they subdue the earth together. This was God's plan for fulfilling Genesis 1 26 to 28. This was his plan. Here's the warning ladies, there are many categories of boys out there, there are varsity boys. The junior varsity boys, there are bench warmers, and then there are the ineligible. <laughs> All right? I will admit that when Linda met me, I was a bench warmer. <laughs> when she married me, I was a bench warmer. I can completely admit this. There's nothing about like this stuff that I understood at the age of 19 when I, when I married Linda. I was like not even a bench warmer. I was maybe a water boy in this sport, okay? I didn't have a checking account when I met Linda. Uh, This is serious, this is true. Uh, And so, uh, and she married me anyways, God knows why. Uh, And uh, here's the idea though. Uh, Bench warmers, Uh, I'm not talking bad about my kind, but it seems to be that sometimes this is all our culture produces. Is bench warmers it's not God's fault um, that we have a bunch of bench warmers and I know that some of you women at times feel like it's God's fault like for those of us who are married like that husband is God's fault he's a bench warmer for those of you who you look around and even if you're looking in the church you're like I can't find varsity in this city they're all just like bench warmers It's not God's fault, per se, all right. right. Okay, this is actually, this is the tweetable, okay. The more we give into culture and neglect God's design, the more bench warmers we produce in the next generation. If we refuse to say, hey, God has a design for life, and if we look to culture to tell us what is the design for gender and all these things, we will inevitably produce generations of Benchwarmers. Now, that may be all you have to work with right now. And so here's the hope in that. When Linda married this warmer, um, they didn't even give me a number. Like I wasn't even qualified like to wear a number on the team. Um, The idea is that she took a warmer and saw the potential and worked with me to at least get to JV status. <laughs> I'm not quite saying I'm varsity yet. Sometimes when you're in a situation where all, all, all there is is what you believe to be bench warmers, God has got a call in your life to help a young boy move along the process to his JV and potentially varsity potential. It happens a lot. Um, this is for next week so I'm really getting to next week I just want to this is for next week but uh, whatever you do so within the realm of like bench warmers and like you know JV and varsity uh, uh, stay there Uh, don't go to ineligibles though (laughs) stay away from ineligibles uh, which are uh, violent men married men men who don't love God etc these are ineligibles okay so but that's next week we'll talk about that next week all right uh that was creation here let's talk about the corruption because we're seeing here that see there's nothing wrong about the order in which things are happening there's nothing wrong about design especially if you understand that within the, the 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 order is the the dna for the gospel then you realize that the the problem is not order what is the problem it's corruption the problem is disconnection not design it's original sin and not order And so to make a long story short, Adam loses sight on the vision that God's given him. Eve has loosened her standards for what God has told them to do. And regardless of whether you think there was a snake in the garden, it doesn't matter. What the both of them decided to do together was this. They were going to walk away from God as the only source for their knowledge and their only source for how to look at themselves, to think about themselves, to think about the uh, environment around them. And they turned to themselves. They turn to their own knowledge, they turn to their own feelings, they turn to their own emotions to process the world around them. This was their, their decision. This is what theologians call the fall. This corrupted the gender design. The way that it affect Adam and his sons was that men became workaholics. Uh, And we became ignorant to families. And so that's described in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We are cursed by work. All right? Uh, This is true even for lazy men. Because they don't want to work. And so they react in that way. The effects on Eve were equally devastating. And this is how it's described in uh, in chapter 3, verse 16. It says, to the women, God said... I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your man, your husband, and he shall rule you. <clears throat> and the fuller meaning of the word desire connotes a like longing, a yearning. It's almost a devastating need for attention and affirmation. The Bible only uses it three other times. One is in the book of Song of Solomon. And one is in chapter four, where it says that your your uh, the enemy is actually he's longing for you, right? So what happened was this, for Eve, the burden that was only supposed to be placed on God, the need for affirmation and approval, Eve began to shift that, and she placed it on her man, Adam, who, by the way, cannot bear that burden. So in return, what does he do? And God is, he is describing, he is not prescribing here. In return, Adam rules over her. And so this ancient text, it actually seems to explain a very modern problem. Women can't seem to find satisfaction in men, and men continue to create a glass ceiling for women. Um, If there's no intervention at this point, I I feel like Fifty Shades of Grey is the outcome. Um, I've not watched the movie. Uh, (laughs) There's many things written about it, Um, I'm not saying don't watch it, but I would like, you know, as someone who, you know, has a chance to shepherd this congregation, I would highly suggest not to watch it. (laughs) But, um, uh, you guys familiar with the movie and the books that have come out, Fifty Shades of Grey? Okay. All right. So, um, but that seems to be the logical extent of Adam and Eve, if there's no intervention. Uh, so to give you a summary, I've read this, uh, I've not read the book. Um, and so again not opposed to you reading it or seeing the movie necessarily I just would like to know your reasons for it if you didn't want to go Uh, but Anastasia Steele uh, is she's the regular kind of you know college girl Uh, she's drawn and attracted to what seems to be the quintessential man Christian Grey do you guys know the plot at all no okay so I'm telling you the plot I'm totally ruining this movie and that's okay in this in this case so what happens is that she hopes to find fulfillment in Christian Gray. He's rich. He's good looking. Um, and so he offers a high level of excitement to her, except that he can't help his own innate desire to hurt and to rule women. He, he actually is, is courting, or he is like wooing her into a life of BDSM. So that's the, that's the plot. So... Um, and so, because of his own insecurities, he actually uh, inserts a contract and conditions to protect himself through their rough play. So uh, I need to protect, you know, my reputation. I need to. This is consistent with many men that you know, right? I need to protect myself in this relationship. Insert contract and conditions in a twisted way, in a very twisted way. The contract and the conditions actually become the very thing that Anastasia begins to use as power against Christian. So she uses the contract against him, holds it over his head, because she knows something about his life that the professional people around him don't know. So, very interesting, right? Um, I read uh, most of the description from Forbes magazine, by the way. Uh, It it was through a writer, Scott Mendelson. He did a review of the movie, and this is what he says. He talks about how all these people are caught up in the sex and all that stuff like the, uh, the BDSM and all that stuff. He says, this is really what the movie is about. He says, it's worth noting that the most potent fantasy to be found is one of a single sexually liberated woman being in control, in control of her body, her relationships without judgment or scorn from either herself or any outside forces. And here's the point that Mendelssohn is making. It's not about sex. It's about power. I'm tired of men ruling over me. So Anastasia can only feel liberated if somehow she gets the man and she gets the power. What a terrible curse. Because there have been so many women in history that have gotten the man and the power and they found out that this leads not to freedom and liberation, but to bondage. It's a terrible curse this is the tweetable actually. The desire you have in yourself, the desires that you have in yourself, only God can handle these desires. If you place it on a man or even on another woman or on yourself, you will crush them and be crushed yourselves and you'll only be led into bondage. Um, Some people will say, no, no, see, that's the thing. Like women need to like rise above the men issue and they need to find significance in work. They need to find significance in accomplishing things. And so this becomes the objection to not every woman function in this way. And that's true. Like I've met women who don't function in this way. All right. But I've also been, you know, pastor for a long enough time and pastored some young women through many issues and realized that this is a common theme. It reminded me of a story that I heard Uh, another pastor tell about a member in his church. And so there was a gal who was not yet a Christian. She was married. She found her affirmation completely in her husband. Husband left her. So in shambles, she ran to the church to try to make sense of her life. In the midst of that, she began hearing this this theme that whenever you make somebody else or something else more important than God, that thing is actually an idol. It replaces God's um, place in your life. And so it began to make sense to her that perhaps her husband had become an idol. And that's why she was so devastated when he left. So she began going through therapy and started processing this journey of like, what does it mean to find myself and know myself apart from a husband? And so therapist, and so she shared this with her therapist. She says, I think, I think my husband played a role in my life that only God can play. And the therapist suggests this. The therapist says, well, then what you need to do is go find a work and pour yourself into it and find significance in your work. That's what you need to do. And even though she was a baby Christian, a new Christian, she had enough insight to say this. Why would I give up a woman's idol for a man's idol? And I think this is where men and women, we begin to connect a little bit, right? Even though I'm a guy up here and my head's shaved and you're sitting there with your nice long flowy hair. That I, I, I understand my drive for success and want, want, to, want to accomplish things. And only, only a couple of people know this about me. The two of you know this about me. That I have such a drive for success and accomplishment that I get anxious, I'm worried all the time. It's actually, it creates an anxiety for me that I I sometimes wonder if I'm successful enough. I never felt this about ladies, even though as a young man that was kind of like, you know, I, I always wondered if I'd ever get married. That was kind of my insecurity. But I was never anxious about women. But I was always anxious about my success. And so when I was a a college and young adults pastor, and my primary demographic was pastoring people from 18 to the age of 29, and we would pastor a lot of young girls, a lot of young girls, and they would share their anxieties with me, and they would share their, like, worries and all these things. I got it. It would almost trigger my own anxiety. Because, you see, we both have idols. And so... I think because we both have idols, we both have the same solution to the idols. So that's John chapter four, the completion of our gender. Um, This is my favorite story in the scriptures. And now that I have four minutes to go through it, I just feel like I'm not gonna do justice. This is my favorite portion, Uh, other than Genesis 12 in the resurrection story of Jesus, my favorite, passage in the scriptures. Woman meets Jesus because she's ashamed of her life. Jesus goes out on a limb, has a conversation, says, I can give you life. She's a bit embarrassed. Jesus knows that she has five men in her life right now. She's embarrassed of that. He begins to reveal to her, her heart, her soul. She senses security in him. She asks him, about spirituality, about faith, he reveals the true faith to her. It brings deliverance to her. And she says, I I can't figure this out. I know one day it'll be revealed to me when the Messiah comes. And Jesus says, the one you're talking to, I'm the Messiah. And something about her energy just drains. And all the shame and embarrassment that she had carried with her drains. And that leads up to this uh, this verse here in, in chapter four. So it says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or what are you talking or why are you talking with her? All right. So he, here's something to note about this passage here that uh, the disciples were like, you're a religious guy. You shouldn't be talking to strange women. It could it could ruin your reputation. And this is the lesson you learn from this passage is Jesus is willing to ruin his reputation if it means you gain more identity. A good Adam would do that. A good Adam would risk his reputation, his life, so that the other person would gain their identity. So, verse 28 So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me, told all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In short, she felt more comfort and security in him than she did these five other men. In her words, she is saying, could this be the man that we've all been waiting for? There's something about her encounter with Jesus where the questions of who is she and her past and her future, it just becomes much more simple in her mind. Because here's a man who is intimate with me, and I feel secure in him, completely. That I would go around and start telling strangers about who this man is. 15 minutes with Jesus overcame how many years of history with five men in her life, neither of them her husband. And I would say this to all of us, but I know that this morning is about the women, but I say this to all of us. <clears throat> Every appeal... Every appeal that has that every man, woman, job, any kind of pleasure has offered to you, pales, pales in comparison to just a few minutes in the presence of Jesus. It pales. There are times when I'm trying to find myself. How do I get back to that place with Jesus? When I'm when I'm filled with anxiety and stress, and I'm just asking myself. How do I get back to this place with Jesus? Because I know that the heights of the mountains over here aren't that high. How do I get back to that? Um, Later, when Jesus dies on the cross, he actually becomes Eve. What do I mean by that? When Jesus is on the cross, Jesus becomes the help. Jesus is ruled by man. Jesus experiences the worst pain that life has to offer in order to birth life. I read a a book this week um, called The Gospel-Centered Woman by Wendy Elsip, and she said this, and this is beautiful. She says, Ruth is not the ideal for woman. Jesus is. Because of Jesus' resurrection, he overcame death. He rose three days later. He accomplished his mission. He was responsible. He is what Paul calls the final Adam. He is reliable, trustworthy. He gave his life perfect love. You can trust him. You can submit yourself entirely to this kind of Adam. You can be his helper, even subordinate to him. Why? Because he's totally secure, completely. 100% secure. I would help that guy. (laughs) I would submit to that guy. Jesus, the perfect Adam. In Jesus on the cross, the sin that fell, or the curse that fell on Adam and Eve was completely broken. Christians, we don't live under the curse. We don't live under the curse. Some days we kind of like do this thing, here's God's covering and we go back over here. The reality is that we can come back over here anytime we want. You don't live under the curse. You don't have to live under the desires that cause the anxiety. Uh, Next week, uh, we'll talk about how do we practically live this out as a community? What does that look like? How do we do that? How How do I constantly, whenever I talk to you uh, sisters, how do I constantly build you up in your identity? Sisters, when you're talking to us men, how do you constantly build us up in the person that God's made us to be? How do we not like victimize and like attack each other? How do we look beyond gender issues and see that in both of us is embedded the image of God? And how we how do we call that out of each other? Don't you want to hear that sermon? Good. Come back next week. Okay. Because here's the reality. Your thoughts and the voices of culture are very loud. Very loud. When I hear people talk, when, when, when things are shared with us, very seldom when somebody is full of anxiety do I hear the voice of God. I hear the voice of culture and the voice of time. Time is wasting away, Daniel. You don't understand. My job, I'm afraid that if I don't take this job, I'm afraid I don't, if I don't take this girl, I'm afraid if I don't take this man. It's wasting away. I don't hear the voice of God. I hear the voice of culture and time and anxiety. And we can't, those voices are so loud. We have to live in community in order to drown out those voices. I'm going to pray. I don't want to create an emotional moment because I want you to make a decision this morning apart from like any, any kind of music or anything. So sit there, close your eyes. God, I don't know what you're doing uh, in moments like this, but I have to think that things shift when we see more of ourselves in you. When we see that we're actually imaging you that in our relationships, in the way that we think about ourselves, that when we see you as priority, that things shift in our lives, our schedule changes, our decisions change. I want to invite you this morning, whatever God has told you in your heart right now, to unplug from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and plug into, hear, trust, and obey. And move forward in obedience and the thing that God's calling you to do in this very moment. God bless us as a church to move forward as a picture for our city of this life that was designed to be lived, plugged into you in no other source so that we would image you both male and female and that this city may know you and that we would enjoy you deeply no matter what role we play. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.